This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Land tenure and state ownership of land in South Africa is a very complex and multifaceted topic that uh, holds very significant importance in this country's history and present-day context. The issue of land has deep reconciliation, and one perspective is to consider this historical legacy of land dispossession and inequality in South Africa, uh, of course stemming from colonialism and apartheid, and many argue that addressing the historical injustices requires land reform policies that aim to redistribute land and also provide secure tenure for the historically disadvantaged communities. On the other hand, there are concerns regarding the potential impact of state ownership of land on agricultural productivity, uh, this economic stability and individual property rights. Some argue that a balance should be struck between land reform and a need for a thriving agricultural sector, as well as ensuring investment security and also incentivizing productivity. And to help us make sense of this uh, very contentious issue is Bulelo Amabasa. She's the director and head of land reform, restitution and tenure practice at Worksman's Attorneys and the author of My Land Obsession. Good to have you on the program. This morning, Bulelo. Thank you, Nchansha. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, let's kick. Let's get the ball rolling. And, and firstly, to get a bit of perspective on this uh, issue, uh, how can South Africa really strike a balance between uh, land reform and agricultural productivity to ensure both social justice as well as economic stability? I mean, the issue of land is one that many ob- obsess over, but it also is. Uh, an issue that holds quite a lot of significance, especially for those seen as disadvantaged in this country. Yes, Nchanta, I think I'd like to preface the discussion. Um, It's been Nelson Mandela Day today. Hmm. And as we all know, um, he was the the doyen of national reconciliation and a non-racial and um, diverse but also united South Africa. And in my work that I've done in land reform, the key message has always been that the issue of land reform has to be seen as an issue of social justice. It has to be seen as a moral imperative. But even more importantly, it has to be seen as a tool that has the potential to build the nation and also to bring us back as South Africans to those um, ethos and those values that are stipulated in our preamble of the Constitution. And in particular, when we think about the Constitution telling us that it's, it's, a, it's a vehicle or a tool to heal the divisions of the past, we are yet to do that work. And so in my work in land reform, in, 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 in the national sphere where I was part of the Presidential Advisory Land mm-hmm. Panel, mm-hmm. Um, I said that we should get to a point where land reform should not be seen as, as, as contradicting or juxtaposed against the issue of economic development or agricultural production. In fact, I go further and I say that it's a red hearing because even as you think about the legislation that is that forms part of land reform, I'm thinking here about the Restitution of Land Rights Act. Even with the Restitution of Land Rights Act, provision is made that even where, for example, there has been a land claim that has been lodged by a family or community, if to, to give that land or to give restoration means social upheaval or major disruption or having to relocate uh, already established um, other townships. Our law provides that justice will, 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 will um, dictate 
then that alternative land is is, is provided yeah. or a combination of financial uh, financial compensation and an alternative land. So what that means is that there isn't a contradiction between the need to uh, to make sure that land reform happens mm. and also economic development. In fact, we need to progress the, the, the debate to a point where we see them as complementing one another. An example that I can give you is a, a case that I worked on uh, yep. many years ago where the land was given um, to a community and after that there was a strategic partnership Mm, with mm. that community right in the middle of the Kruger National uh, Park where there is a thriving business uh, in that, that, that contributes to tourism where the land uh, payments are part and parcel of, you know, they are equity partners in that business. They are part and parcel of hospitality and skills and so forth. So really my answer is that we need to stop thinking about land reform as something that undermines agricultural production or even economic activity. Mm. And to leapfrog our minds into land reform actually um, being a tool that contributes and, and actually progresses agricultural production or even economic activity. I quite, quite like what you're saying about uh, really progressing this debate because it seems as uh, it, it has kind of veered off uh, direction a lot of the times as it would seem that the main debate right now is people demanding answers on what does this uh, scheme or this proposed deal for land expropriation without compensation really mean? But uh, let's take a few steps backward and speak about land tenure and land rights. Uh, these have been a yeah. significant issue in South Africa, shaped by, like you say, this complex history of colonialism, apartheid and post-apartheid reforms. And the country's land tenure system really refers to the way that land is owned, uh, that, that it's mm-hmm. occupied and also transferred, while land rights pertain to this legal and customary entitlement of individuals and communities have over their land. And it would seem that the, more questions are being asked in, in understanding uh, the, the, the different definitions of what this really is, land tenure, and uh, also issues around or answering uh, questions around state ownership of land in South Africa. But as we extend that uh, particular conversation, let's speak about the policy mechanisms. What policy mechanisms or innovative approaches can be employed to really address these historical injustices without undermining investment in the country? Sure. Um, in fact, I think the progression of the policies around land tenure um, would have the opposite effect than undermining. In fact, it would promote investment. Yeah, yeah. Why I say this is that um, the statistic or the latest statistic is that over 80, 80% of black South Africans in South Africa do not have recognizable, registrable legal land rights. What do I mean by that? There are people who live in informal land where there hasn't been, the land hasn't been uh, surveyed, where they occupy land without any documents such as a title deed or even a lease agreement and so forth. There are a lot of people that live in informal settlements and backyards and they don't have that legal protection to say, I own the four corners of this piece of ground and I am able to, pro- to, to, to prove it either to a financial institution or to anyone else that might want to evict me informally. So that's the, that's the important statistic that we need to consider when we think about this. Secondly, um, as you correctly pointed out in your intro, the apartheid system was such that it created a formal property rights regime that was mainly protecting 
white people that live in urban um, you know, area, areas, even in rural areas. And those are people that have the, uh, for example, the, the title deeds, the, the, the lease agreements, um, and so forth. Those are the legal documents that, are, that, that find their protection emanating from Roman Dutch law, which is a law, obviously, as you know, that is the basis of South African law. On the other hand, what the apartheid government did when they, when they, when they formed the, the former TBVC states was such that black people couldn't own land, firstly as a matter of law, but also they, 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 if, they, if they occupied land, they did so in a communal fashion. And this is where traditional leaders come into play, where we have permissions to occupy that are given um, to people on communal land that don't enjoy the legal protection. In fact, we have legislation, we have a case um, that has been ongoing between the Minister of Land Affairs and the Ingringama Trust Board, where those permissions to occupy have been brought to scrutiny and question. So what that all means is that, and this is what I've, I've advocated for in my chapter in, in a publication called Land in South Africa, Nation Formation and um, Contested Meanings, is to say that South Africa needs a policy to take a policy stance on this issue of lending that does not continue on this dualistic um, differences of property holding mm. between formal property rights and informal communal land. We see this in practice, for example, where lots of investors are coming on board, right. wanting to build solar, um, solar um, you know, establishments for, for solar energy purposes. Well, yeah. Yes, and they, they, they are unable to convince funders to say that there is secure land tenure rights on land because a lot of these communities don't have the legal instruments that are required. So in my work that I've done is I've advocated for a policy, ch- a policy changes that are going to ensure that even wh- whether you're a black person living in a communal area, in a rural area, or whether you're living in an urban area without any, any rights, that you are afforded the autonomy and the legal instruments that will enable you to negotiate on an equal footing with either investors mm. or funders so that you can get the legal protection that's necessary. We are in discussion with Bulelo Mabasa, the Director and Head of Land Reform Restitution and Tenure Practice at Worksman's Attorneys. And she's also the author of My Land Obsession, a must-read, I must say, if you want to really understand uh, or this, uh, or if you are passionate about understanding these complexities of land rights as well. This time speaking about land tenure and property rights in South Africa. We'll continue with that discussion in a short while. 9 a.m. to noon. This is Power Talk on Power 98.7. This is Power Talk. The time now is 26 minutes past 10. Wrapping up our conversation with Bulelo Mabasa right now. Speaking land tenure and property rights in South Africa and land tenure and state ownership of land in South Africa is a very complex and multifaceted topic that holds significant importance in the country's history and present day context. Now, Bulelo, a lot's been said about the parliamentary processes that ultimately many will see as a move to see this expropriation of land without compensation in the country. But Let's speak about uh, public participation. How can uh, this public participation be effectively incorporated into the decision-making process regarding land tenure and state ownership of land in South Africa? Yeah, public participation forms a crucial part of our democratic, our constitutional democracy, especially in lawmaking. 
So as you will may be aware, is that when when legislation is introduced, it has to go through various uh, forms and stages, including consultations with provinces in the NCOP and also with the different national houses. So, for example, with the parliamentary process that was started, I think it was in 2018, by the Joint Committee um, in Parliament that was looking at expropriation without compensation, there was uh, there were extensive public engagements that, that, that did take place throughout the different provinces. But also, what happens is when a bill is introduced, there is an opportunity for the public to engage with the bill and to provide their comments and submissions prior to the bill have, uh, to being enacted. So public participation is crucial, and we've seen our courts actually invalidate certain legislation where they felt that public participation or consultation mm. was not on par. We saw that happen um, when President Zuma uh, attempted to extend the yeah. deadline mm. for the submission of land claims where that legislation or that bill was invalidated for lack of having um, consulted adequately. So there is a difference between, obviously, consultation within the lawmaking uh, process, which involves provinces, but I think that your question is more geared towards public participation from active citizens um, that can have a role and a voice. And I think this is where our civil um, society has to play more of a role, to engage and to, to, to... to galvanize interest and and um, you know promote the voices of the activists of, of of our active citizens in being part and parcel of this. I think the general view is that when legislation is passed, you know it's a domain for lawyers, academics, mm. and so forth. But I think this is precisely what our institutions should be doing, our NGOs should be doing, yeah. in order to also um, again build this nation building. Um, exercise that is around taking power back to the people and the voices of the people when it comes to important issues such as land reform. Now, you are also an author and uh, you've started speaking a bit, a bit about your book, uh, My Land Obsession, which I must say is a, is a must read for those who are really passionate about really understanding the complexities of land rights. While you maybe reflect on some of the issues you touch on in this uh, particular book, also maybe as we wrap up, explain to us what lessons can be learned from successful land reform initiatives in other countries that have faced uh, similar challenges as South Africa? Thank you so much. Yes, um, in fact, the, my land, my, my book, My Land Obsession, has recently also been long-listed um, by the Sunday Times uh, Literary Awards 2023, so I'm thrilled about that. But you're quite correct that um, it's actually a culmination. This book is a culmination of all the work that I've done from building a land reform practice in a corporate commercial firm at Worksman's, and then right through to contributing to the national policy making when I formed part of the Presidential Advisory Land uh, Panel for Land Reform and also in academia. But I think the most important thing that I'd like to um, share as lessons that can be learned is the idea that land reform cannot sit neatly with economic development or agricultural, agricultural production. In my book, I do set out examples that um, of, of, of land claims or restitution processes that can work. Um, and I've also kind of spoken, spoken about how communal, uh, the communal land issue, um, together with the, the traditional leadership um, uh, debate, is, needs to be reworked in order to ensure that we don't have this duality that persists 
uh, in the future. But I think also, I think uh, taking, taking an opportunity of, of Mandela Day today is a reminder for all South Africans who love this country to say that we all have a space, we all have a voice yeah. in this land reform narrative that can actually assist us in healing the divisions of our past mm. and in recognizing that it is important that there is land justice, um, but that in us recognizing that, that we have to ensure then that we pass to the future generations and our children a legacy of a country that has healed itself by mm. ensuring that there is land justice, um, but at the same time making sure that with that economic development and agricultural production is yeah. enhanced. Bulelo Mabasa, let me thank you very much for your time. She's the Director and Head of Land Reform, Restitution and Tenure Practice at Worksmen's Attorneys and author of My Land Obsession. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.